I know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna shoot rabbits. Because I'm the fucking king, that's why. What else would I be doing in a time of war? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an often told story, this, isn't it? Of the sort of um, innocence and all the confidence of, of young men going to war. Lommy green ends! Lommy green ends! <laughs> Only ever well, steals he, vegetables, um, but he steals them like a pro. Hello, Gavna. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode three of Shark Live Royals read through of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. This one is called What Is Dead May Never Die. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. So um, if you come into us fresh for the first time, what we're doing is we're breaking down this book into ten parts, which roughly run in line with the series. But this is just about the book, George R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones, A Clash of Kings. Um, if you are watching the series at the same sort of time, then there will be a lot of overlapping, and um, I'd, I'd advise watching watching all of the series before listening to our read through. Can we mention because that this is this is series two we're doing at the moment? It's book two, which goes with series two. Yeah, so it's yeah. Um, I mean, it, ideally, you'll you'll have watched series two and, you, and you'll be reading this along with us, or you'll just be reading the book and you're not interested in the TV series at all. Those are the two ideal things to be happening here. But if you're sort of worrying about spoilers for series two, then um, I'd be quite careful <laughs> what you listen to here. <laughs> Maybe watch series two before you uh, before you listen to it. Now I've managed to try and put off most people. <laughs> shall we get <laughs> Shall we get into this next part? Let's. We're reading from page two hundred seven to three four two today. So the next chapter is about Tyrion, and. Uh, well, this is quite... I mean, not a great deal happens in this chapter. It's one of these ones where it's sort of setting up pieces and just moving them around the board. Um, there's this new rumour that, that um, I think Littlefinger decides that they should make when the small council meets. They've met to talk about this, the fact that Stannis has been sending all these letters out to all over the country saying that Joffrey's a bastard, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> which is true um, yes. and they're going to respond by um, spreading a lie which is that Shireen which is uh, Stannis' daughter isn't actually his and um, her real father is, do you remember that fool that she's always knocking about with called Patchface <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is like a real mudslinging war now isn't it it's, can you think of a, a character it would be more humiliating to be, to be cuckolded by, than Patchface. No, no, I can't. there's not a single one, is there? In this book, no. full of extremely unpleasant characters, Patchface is <laughs> is down there. Yeah. Sort of, I mean, and it also <laughs> invites rather unpleasant images, doesn't it? It's sort of, you know, Lady Lady Stannis, uh, whatever her name is, and and <laughs> this sort of capering, jestering, like patchwork faced fool who only ever talks in rhyme about things that happen under the sea and you just yeah. you don't want to imagine that as pillow talk do you no exactly it would be a, it would be horrendous it would be it? hellish <laughs> do, you, do you know what this reminded me of it reminded me of, do you know the thick of it it's a political um political satire yeah and um, one of the political advisors at one point they get into this sort of mudslinging war 
and he says, uh, this is a bucket of shit. If someone throws shit at us, we throw shit back at them. We start a shit fight. We throw so much shit back at them. They can't pick up shit. They can't throw shit. They can't do shit. <laughs> and that's just exactly what Little Fink is trying to do here. <laughs> just throw an absolute bucket of shit back at, <laughs> back at Stannis. That's really funny. <laughs> I wish Little Finger had said that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think actually Game of Thrones, all of this kind of small council <laughs> stuff is immeasurably improved from its already yeah. high point by um, thinking of it in terms of the thick of it quotes. <laughs> I mean, the only thing it's missing is a Malcolm Tucker character, isn't well, it? Exactly. Can you um, imagine? That would be amazing. <laughs> Medieval Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> quite matches up to that here is there um, because because Malcolm Tucker isn't allowed to use weapons he uses his sort of swear words as an offensive weapon yeah um, anyway, yeah well whereas uh, here people just have swords and kill each other instead yeah <laughs> um, so there's a couple of other things with Tyrion in this chapter he's got this squire called Pod who we've spoken to we've spoken about before um, who's a bit crap, and um, Tyrion's got a bit of a soft spot for because he's, he's rubbish and a bit of an outcast. <laughs> um, it, it turns out that he was given to him by Tywin as another sort of little slight. Oh, was and, he? Uh, yeah. Mm. And he's kind of just using it to his advantage as best he can, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so do you suppose that Tywin's... <coughs> is it a slight, or is Podrick, like, the best undercover spy there ever was? <laughs> Can you imagine James Bond as sort of like instead of being the guy who goes in is like hi I'm here to do a business deal because I'm extremely suave and important and uh, very high status instead being the guy who's like the really really shit drink server at the tennis club <laughs> you know hey, where the supervillain plays isn't it? Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on this because it's not clear what it where it's going this Tyrion's got the um, armorers all the master armorers in the city. Who are normally building, you know, who are normally making really intricate and expensive breastplates yeah. to create a massive chain. Um, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that is an excellent question. And I think you, me, and everybody else reading along with this book wonders that exact same thing. Because there's no explanation for it. We've not come across a chain before, we've no idea where a chain could be, could be significant. Um, mm. And it's like it's quite crude work, isn't it? So he's one of the one of the um, the blacksmiths at the time says, "Look, you can't. I'm not doing this. I make fine filigree. I'm a I'm the fucking pastry chef of armourers. You can't ask me to do this. This is this is this isn't even meat and two veg. It's just veg." <laughs> yeah, but he's um he's very he's very clear in his desire, isn't he, Tyrion? Yeah, he threatens to have them. Uh, terrible things done to them if they don't comply yeah so um looks like it's gonna happen the, the other thing is um we find out how he's uh he's planning to seize shay and it's through this elaborate sort of hiding place this is better in this series the way he, he just seems to bring shay along to the tower of the hand and, and then nobody finds no out about it <laughs> yeah. yeah um this is he's a bit more finessed in the book because he basically goes to a brothel and then goes through a secret door in a room in a brothel, and then gets on a horse and travels across town to this little mansion, which is um, in the middle of, like, it's part of sort of hiding in plain sight, isn't it? And finds her there. And you've got to love the sight of a, you know, of a, a, a secret passageway in a fantasy novel like this. Oh, yeah. it's just, yeah. it, you know, it's an oldie but a goodie. 
Yeah, yeah. It's bread and butter, and it? it's belt and braces. Belt and braces fantasy. There we go. <laughs> um, but to to set this kind of thing up, he needs to trust someone, and he's decided to go along with Varys, probably as much for the fact that Varys is going to find out anyway. Well, that's true because Varys has got people everywhere. So, you know, I think I, I thought this was really, really weird, and actually contains a lot of potential for future sort of drama because Tyrion's. Mm like in, an incredibly gifted political operator you know he knows yeah. what's what he can protect himself from all angles you know he's he's got his people in place um mm-hmm. and and it's it's this impregnable fortress of political strength but for the fact that it involves trusting Varys which is sort mm-hmm. of like building a castle and then not building a back like the back wall just have it all facing <laughs> forwards and then have like a 20 foot wide gap in the back just big enough to ride a couple of war horses through it's like why would you do that yeah or just having a really strong castle and putting someone who you'd not i mean he says i'm not sure if you're my best friend or my worst enemy um it's like but i'll trust you anyway in charge of the posting gate <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. That's, but actually, Varys says the same when um, when Tyrion says that that I don't know whether you're my best friend or worst enemy. Varys says I feel the same way about you, and I think there's a mutual, if not trust, mutual respect there between the two of them. Yeah, or at the very least, a mutual recognition that they don't necessarily need to be enemies. And like, yeah. whereas, like most, a lot of the other kind of, um, you know, this sort of devious threesome. If you'll forgive me the phrase, like uh, mm. in uh, in the small council, you have of um, Varys, um, Wicker Wicker Grandmaster Pycelle, and <laughs> <laughs> it's still not old, and um, and Littlefinger. Um, you know, their enmity seems to come as standard between them. You know what mm. I mean? Like they're all working against each other because they're all going for big power. And I think Varys and Tyrion both recognise that they don't. They could each do without an extra front on which to be fighting a war. And so there's a kind of, it's not an alliance, but it's a bit more than a truce. Mm. Yeah, interesting. But but then of course that just means that it's just even when it goes to shit, as it inevitably will, it'll be even more dramatic. <laughs> the the next chapter is about Bran, and uh, this is. Uh, a few of the uh, a few of the lords who are still behind, or what remains of the the great houses in the north, um, are coming over to Winterfell. Um, I think we find out later it's for a, a, the Harvest Festival, and um, we see a few of them. Lord Wyman Manderley, um, the big fat guy who lives in White Harbour, he turns oh, yeah. up um, and to say hello, and uh, he he offers to build a fleet uh, for. Um, for, for Rob, yeah, yeah, um, and also he makes a few offers, and he says, oh, um, "You know, we're happy to start print, uh, minting coins for Rob as well." Yeah. Um, the, but the uh, the thing is, Bran and uh, Master Lewin don't seem um, comfortable with making those kind of decisions at the moment. They think they're the kind of things that Rob should be deciding, but he's not here. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, and this whole chapter actually is full of like, like quite intricate politics. Mm, yeah, uh, it's really and interesting. It really is, but man, I had to go back through it with a pen and paper to make sure I followed it all because I had a strong sense <laughs> that everything that was spoken about in this chapter was going to become really important. You know, so with Sir Wyman, it's things like, okay, why does he want to mint 
coins because if you control mm. the coin then you're a very very powerful person and if you yeah. control the fleet then you're a very very powerful person um yeah. so is that you know does he have is he harboring designs against um against rob like um well, like balan greyjoy seems to be or he, or is there a, is this kind of just extreme loyalty or yeah you know he mentions he also mentions mandalay that um Tywin uh, Lannister has has sent him a letter um, offering um, his because he's, he's got Tywin Lannister captured one of uh, Mandalay's sons mm. in the you know the battle which they sacrificed a load of men mm. and um, Tywin's offered him um, and a lot of other incentives to come over to his to, to switch sides mm. and Mandalay said that he's not going to do that. Well, um, isn't he indeed? And, <laughs> and he's come to he's come to Winterfell, set, saying, you know, this is what I've been offered, yeah. and obviously I'm not going to take it, and, I, and and I'm going to throw my weight behind you. He's not he's not inconsiderable weight behind. Um, <laughs> you can imagine if Winterfell. he'd actually used that phrase, everybody's eyes just for a moment going very wide, <laughs> just uh, the, yeah. the very thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it can be read two ways. This either Manderley is um, fiercely loyal to. Uh, Winterfell mm. and is just showing how much so here or he's um, he's more of a canny political operator and he's saying look I'm being attempted with these things over here obviously I'm not going to accept sort of yeah. raising his eyebrows but saying you're going to you know, basically the message behind the message is you need to show me some support here, so I'm, yeah. I'm sure that I'm picking the right side. Yeah. Oh, and it, yeah. I mean, it could even be more naked than that, couldn't it? It's just like, look, I've been offered this. What have you got? Mm. You know, make mm. me the master of coin. Make me the head of the fleet. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I wonder if if turning him down is going to turn out to be a wise or a foolish move. Well, yeah, he's obviously someone who's very interested in expanding his power because yeah. there's also this issue, um, the, the second big political issue in this chapter is about the Hornwoods. Um, now, these are, these own some lands, in be- I think it's in between uh, White Harbour, which is the Mandalays, mm. and the Dreadfort, <laughs> which, surprise, surprise, is the Bolton. <laughs> That's the greatest name for the, a, a seat. Dread the Dreadfort. Honestly, I mean, who comes up with a name like that? Like, especially <laughs> other places in the in the country called like High Garden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this one is just the Dreadfort. <laughs> if you're going to pick a castle where you flay your enemies alive, oh, it's probably Lord. going to be the Dreadfort. Can you it? be? Ima- can you imagine being born into the Bolton family and becoming Lord <laughs> of the Dreadfort, and actually being just a much more sort of scholarly type who quite likes cross stitch? <laughs> Once again, if you're um, if you're one of the sort of men at arms and you're chatting to all the other men at arms. You'd um you'd feel like you could really have a bit of swagger if your sigil is a flayed man <laughs> and your uh, capital is the dreadful. The dreadful. <laughs> oh <to> dear. Some, <laughs> compared to some guy who's uh you know got a tree for his sigil and his his place. I think it's Deepwood Moor. Oh no, that's the Glovers. So you got you got a glove for a sigil and, and yeah. your, your your main place is called Deepwood Mott. Um, just yeah, uh, feel a little inferior. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, you'd just be like, oh, has he walked into the bar again? All right. <laughs> I'll buy him a drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, the area between those two big um, castles is um, is run by, it's, it's called, uh, it was, it's run by the Hornwoods. Mm. And um, 
both the the Lord and his son have both been killed in the war. So um, Lady Homewood is kind of on her own now, and there's this there are these sort of power plays to see who's going to take over that seat effectively. So Manderley is saying he wants to marry um, Lady Homewood now, and a couple of other people are putting their claims in. Mm. And it's just one of those examples of the problem with this sort of line of succession, even below the king level, is, as we've seen before, this vacuum of power. Yeah. And even on a local level, when that happens, when you lose the lord and, and the immediate heir, you've got to scramble for people trying to pick up pick up the pieces then. Yeah. It's not a shining advert for um, feudalism as a way of running things, is it? If it's no. possible, just, just in a world where people died easily and all the time, for the, if the wrong person dies, that means there has to be a war. Like, surely <laughs> you have to have a more peaceful way of carrying on business than that, but apparently not. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, also, um, another person who seems to be thinking about taking over there is uh, the guy who's um, in charge of the dread fort at the moment, and it's this, it's this bastard. Um, it's one of it's Roose Bolton's bastard called the Bastard of Bolton. The Bastard and, of Bolton. Um, <laughs> yeah, good, that's that's, uh, that's Peter Kay's next move into gritty <laughs> drama, isn't it? The Bastard of Bolton. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it sounds like some like tough tackling Bolton Wanderers defender, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? He's, no, he's not a defender. I tell you what, it is. It's Kevin Nolan. But yeah, he's um he hasn't come to um to Winterfell, but he's he seems to be putting an army together and um there's a bit of concern in the north about that. And uh, it, I don't know. It, it just it doesn't. It sounds like a bit of a bum note, doesn't it? Yeah, and there seems to be a general con- general consensus that this guy isn't really particularly trustworthy. Yeah, there's a strong sense, isn't there, of of the Boltons kind of like. It seems to me like having the Boltons in your army or in your force and and thinking of them as allies is a bit like pitching your tent over a snake's nest because it's because uh, you you are very vulnerable to this sort of. Um, uh, you know this sort of oh, I'm not responsible for what my bastard son may be doing with his massive army down there and an otherwise <laughs> undefended and extremely wealthy lordship I'm sure I've got nothing to do with that anyway here's to your fealty my lord like it's he's just yeah I mean it's, it's they strike me as the kind of guys who are they're very good to have um, they follow power and they're very good to have us on side yeah because they're quite dangerous opponents aren't they mm-hmm. as we've seen with Roose Bolton and um and his his feigned attack on Tywin Lannister yeah they, they're good at doing the uh, get, getting the, the the bad stuff done getting like. it done it's a, yeah it's like um do you know um politicians or even if you want to look like like mobsters when you have a henchman <laughs> they're, they're a really good henchmen because they've got no scruples at all all right so so Bran goes to um in part part way through this chapter he goes to the godswood to pray and um, he, he likes, oh, sorry, halfway through this chapter, he goes to the Godswood and he likes to sort of hang around here. And um, it's his favourite place to be in the castle. And it's because it's the place his dad used to come to pray. And um, I thought that's just, it's just a, I love these parts of the book where very, very short, but little links between characters and really humanises them. And you can imagine this, this would be why if you're, you know, if you're a young, if you're, if you're just a little boy, really, and um, and you've lost your dad, you'd, you'd want to 
sort of keep some kind of connection, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 that's true. So it's quite it's quite heartrending this. And all the way through this chapter, he's mm. you know, he's doing this playing the Lord thing and he does it very well actually. But mm. um but you know, you have this interlude where he's just, you know, he's a nine year old boy whose father's just been killed. And you know it is it is very sad, and I quite like that in the middle of all this politics you've got this very human kind of point mm yeah i think the the only other thing to say about this chapter just go, going back to a few of the other bannermen who are turning up or sort of um the what remains of the the bannermen after the the sort of the main force have gone south the uh the two other main umbers from the north you know you've got the great John yeah. um, who's fighting with Rob, his brothers. Um, <laughs> come down to see to see Bran, and um, they're they're just well. One of them is is called Horse Bane, and um, no no one will tell Bran why. But I mean, oh, the name I explains itself. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other one's called Moore's Crow Food, and the reason it's called Crow Food is um, a crow when he was younger pecked out his eye. Yeah, and um, and he grabbed it and bit its head off. <laughs> As you do. That's amazing. <laughs> now that's rock and roll. That never mind biting the head off a bat in a press conference or whatever it was. Ozzy Osbourne did. No, 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 yeah. no. Bite the head <laughs> off the crow that's just blinded you. <laughs> and this may be a good example of why the uh, why the Starks can command the loyalty of people like the Boltons mm. because um, if they act up, they'll set the umbers on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pre- actually that is that is a fairly sort of route one to hedging the risk of having all these different <laughs> warring lords under your command is because if you've got the great John on side, yeah, then like, who else is going to mess, honestly? Yeah. It's like the thing, actually, is, do you reckon, is the great John Rob's version of um, the mountain? You know, what the mountain is to Tywin Lannister, the great John is to Rob. I think he is. Yeah, I think you're right. He's one of these just renowned, vicious fighters, isn't he? Yeah. And you're not going to mess. And yeah. is the, Although I do wonder how the mountain would respond if somebody, in order to gain his loyalty, had his fingers chewed off. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. carry on. I get, I get the feeling he just wouldn't say anything and maybe just kill him and he's... Oh. I don't know, actually. It's, it's impossible to say, isn't it? It is. It, well, it's impossible to say anything <laughs> about the mountain because he just choose yeah. the most psychopathic course of action and add extra bodies to it. That's what the mountain would do. Yeah. It's interesting, the difference between the Great John and the mountain in that the way they're presented. The Great John seems like... A sort of decent guy overall, even though he's this very rough and ready and quite frightening bloke. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if it's just the way that they're presented rather than what they're like. I, I think because it is. I think you need. I mean, because the mountain is too good a character, you know, too good a hate worthy character not to hate. Mm. Um, and yeah, we've very carefully been shown the great John. We've very carefully not been shown the great John doing the things that many, many soldiers do. Mm. Um, I mean, for example, I noticed that we've had several scenes where um, on the Lannister side of things, you know, there's been much talk talk of um, like of, of rape and horrendous assault and just totally immoral, um, bastard-like behaviour. And mm. the only thing we've got of the men under Rob's command is the fact that because we, you know, because we did a bit of reading on the Boltons and found out what their house sigil is, but even that mm. hasn't really been pointed out in the text. 
It's just in the back, in yeah. the appendix. So, yeah. you know, you could at this point very easily be like, Stark's good guys, Lannister's bad guys. Yeah, I suppose it, it could be just a case of that the, they've got a stronger sort of, even f- for all the fact that you've got the n- more knights in the in the south, there's a stronger code of, of honour and, and what to do in battle in the, in the north. We, we shall see. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, that... That would be very interesting to see. Maybe they've got some kind of medieval version of the Geneva Convention going on. <laughs> that would be quite a trick, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but it would be toned down, wouldn't it? It'd be like it'd be it would be seen as horribly liberal, but that's because it would say that you have to stop torturing people after two days, or <laughs> yeah. you know, you, yeah. you have to occasionally feed low-born prisoners. <laughs> Slippery slope. End of warfare as we know it. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I suppose Daenerys was doing a sort of one-woman Geneva Convention after the uh, yeah. after when that landman was being put yeah. to the sword. Worked out for her, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the the other a couple of other people here, uh, the Glovers. Uh, there's a couple of those have gone uh, south to fight with Rob, and it seems that the person who who's really ruling that area at the moment is the steward, mm. um, and he's putting a lot of faith in a hedge wizard. Who's this sort of just this? Yeah, I mean, Master Lewin can cannot contain his contempt <laughs> for that, can he? Because <laughs> he's absolutely the opposite of uh, the kind of person who'd be into that kind of stuff. Do you know what? Do you know um, what the hedge wizard made me think of? Is first of all, I like the word hedge as a way of saying rubbish. Like uh, they got hedge yeah. knights as well, haven't they? Hedge wizards and hedge yeah. knights are, are wankers who are just pretending. They don't really yeah. know what they're doing. Um, yeah. And um, what I loved about the Hedge Wizards, I was I was kind of re- thinking about the concept, and I realised, do you know that episode of Blackout of the Second where he goes to see the Wise Woman? Oh yeah, it's it's <laughs> her. She, uh, the uh, Wise Woman. The Wise Woman. Two things <laughs> must you know of the Wise Woman? You know, and she just comes up with all sorts of bollocks. Yeah. Um, and it's it's exactly that. It's it, a Hedge Wizard is the Wise Woman from Blackadder. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Do you know what the what's the difference between a hedge knight and a sellsword then? Um I think it's a hedge knight has got more pretensions. A sellsword is just a mercenary. It's just like if you pay me I will fight. When you stop paying me I will leave. Whereas I yeah. I think a hedge knight has more of a sense of pretending to be chivalrous and is right. he's kind of like no milady. You know, he's, he's the sort of I don't know what the right what the what the right kind of parallel to draw is. It's the sort of person who really desperately wants to be rich but isn't, um, yeah. or desperately wants to be upper class but isn't, and still acts. Hyacinth Bouquet. There we go. There's mm. a, there's a British sitcom reference. Keeping up appearances <laughs> is um, yeah. Hedge Knights are the Hyacinth Bouquet of uh, of Westeros. So I suppose that they're the sort of the knighted version of a sellsword. So sellswords are sort of like your men at arms who will fight for anyone, and yeah. hedge knights are your knights who will fight for anyone. Yeah. Well, I wonder if they've actually been knighted. Oh, so they just so they just. I, yeah, honestly, I think they knights. might just be like yeah, just putting it on, just hmm, being okay. like you know, I I command a ten percent higher fee when I'm not not just a sellsword but a hedge knight. <laughs> You know what? I bet it's. I bet it's both. I bet there are some yeah. genuine knights yeah. who are selling the service. So I suppose, technically, Sejora is a hedge knight. Mm. Then actually, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, he or is. is. Or is he? Or is he a hedge lord? A hedge <laughs> lord. He's actually, he's actually a lord, isn't he? He is. Um, he is. Oh, he's been banished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we, we we digress, aren't we? Yes. Um, 
the the other thing, the other people. Oh, the Tall Hearts. You know, I was sort of semi-allied to these guys. We picked you picked the Car Starks, and I picked the Bolton Stroke Tall Tall Hearts. Yeah. Um, and they've done nothing so far, and they've been a bit of a non-event. Well, there's, I was going to ask you about that. Well, we've got a, we've got something that they're doing. The Benfred Tollhearts, who's the sort of heir to, to that area. He's um, sorry. He's listen, listen. No, don't take the piss. Listen, he's uh, he's raising a com- a company of like young young men, like young soldiers. Yeah, they're called the Wild Hares because um, they because uh, they have rabbit skins. Yeah, rabbit skins tied to the end of the lances. Yeah. But they've seen this like this small fighting force that are eager for for glory. Mm. And I just thought, brilliant. I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be quite interesting to see if they. I hope they do something interesting. Yeah, um, that would be excellent. So we'll see. But uh, finally, the tall they finally they turn up to the party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and the final one, uh, Clay Serwin, who um, I think it's Serwin, C E W R Y N. I would have thought Kerwin. Oh, Kerwin. Okay, because, because, Kerwin. Because otherwise, if you've got knights and they're like Sir Serwin, which sounds like you've got a stammer. I and suppose, yeah. I was just thinking because cause Cersei is spelt the same way and it's C E R S. But maybe it's different in the north. Let's let's go with Kerwin. Kerwin. Let's go with Kerwin. If we're wrong. Apologize if they're not in the series, so we don't know the right way to pronounce the name. Um, but yeah, Clay Kerwin is uh, is the the son of the sort of you know in the air, and they they're quite close to the Starks because it's the cut ca- effectively the castle down the road. It's only like an hour's ride away, and um, and he turns up and and he he has a some news about this this rumor about Joffrey being a bastard. Mm. So uh, it's finally reached Winterfell. This this news that's been travelling throughout the land is finally making its way north. Not much else to say on that, is there? No. Um, next, sorry, next. I just like yeah, cool, uh, yeah. Whatever. Like I mean, I I have to say though, I think there's something. No, I have thought of something. I have to say, like I think that this whole thing about the news about Joffrey getting out is mm-hmm. like it's not a letdown. But it's just not quite as a big dramatic impact as it as it could have been. Because in the last book, mm. that was what drove the whole plot. You were like, is the king going to find out? Is this going to be known? Is Joffrey going to get on the throne? And then in yeah. the second book, everybody knows. But there's already a yeah. war. So it, there isn't like, you can't really turn up the consequences any more than they've already been turned up. So yeah. there is a bit of, you know, you spend a lot of the first book kind of waiting for Cersei and Jamie and Joffrey to kind of get their comeuppance. And yeah. um, and they they don't with this news coming yeah. out, and it's just a little bit. <clears throat> oh, I just wish. Yeah, you know. an anticlimax. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the question I have with it, the thing that isn't clear at this stage, is how it's got out. Mm. Yeah, how does Stannis know? He's on a rock in the middle yeah. of the sea. Like, who told him? Yeah, we 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 will see. We shall um, but see. It's, it, the, at the moment, it, it's almost a plot hole. The way that it hasn't been looked at. Mm. So we'll unless, see if they're tied up later on. Unless John Aaron and Stannis both worked it out and John Aaron got killed for it, but Stannis was already on his way back to Dragonstone and already knows. That would be the most logical conclusion, wouldn't it? Yeah. We shall see. Yeah. The next chapter is Tyrion. And um he's he is doing a sort of an old trick that mobsters do, which is trying to find a rat. Um, I, th- well, I, th- I think there's actually a term for it. I can't remember what it is, but it's when you're when, when you're on a mole hunt, no? A mole hunt. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. so you, so you sort of put out a few 
different secrets to different people and see which one gets leaked. Yeah. And then then you've got your mole. Yeah. Um, so he, he he's sending basically three separate um, offers of marriage um, through the main people on the council. So he tells Varys one thing, tells Littlefinger another, and he tells Wicker Wicker Grandmaster Pycelle another, <laughs> and tells them all to keep it from the Queen. Yeah. And he's just going to wait and see which one the Queen him. finds out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I love this. I really love this because this is a whole sequence where there's not tension, there's just anticipation because this is a character you like moving against four characters that you really don't like and doing it in a way that outsmarts them. And so all the way through this, I was reading this just like, yeah, have it, (laughs) Pycelle, in your face, little finger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's going to be really interesting to see who actually dobs him in as well yeah I suppose. well yeah um the other thing is it's obvious from this chapter that king's landing is is starving now mm. because um since uh renly has has sort of called the banners and, and claimed the throne um in the in in sort of the reach as it's called which where he is at the moment all the food is really dried up because that is the. I don't think it's been made particularly clear, and it's not a spoiler. Um, mm. But that is the part of the country which is, you know, where the food comes from. Mostly, it's where most of the, you know, the most productive farms are and things like that. It's a really rich area, yeah. and normally there's this con- continuous supply of food coming into King's Landing, and that's just dried up now. Yeah, and um, and it's causing massive massive problems for for the population. Well, it would, and this is this is actually another one of those knuckleheaded decisions that um mm. that was made by Cersei and Joffrey when they were running things before Tyrion was sent down wasn't it like yeah. you know you let Renly get away you let him uh start up a whole rebellion in the south and cut off all of your food supplies and you yeah. can't really blame Tywin Lannister for being like I'm sorry you did fucking what the food <laughs> are you fucking mental <laughs> yeah it's just I mean, such it's a misstep, such a stupid thing, and it's just—it's so clearly. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I actually think there's a comparison here between like, um, like what they've done and the sort of knuckle-headed decisions that you see um, that that Im- impoverish uh, developing countries when their leaders just stop trying to make money for everybody and just start taking out as much as they possibly can. Yeah, you know, and I think you see here. This is this is um, Cersei definitely not have not being able to see beyond the end of her own nose. And not being able mm. to think of anything other than this is how I am powerful. Yeah. Um, and you've got all power grab. And then you power grab it and then your food goes away and you're all like, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> you've got two two things going on at the same time here as well. On the one hand, the the food is coming in is decreasing. And, and added to that is the fact that when war breaks out in this period, in this era... You have a population boom because everybody comes into the city to be because they think that's where they're going to be safe. Mm. If you sit out in the in the farmland, you might end up getting raped and pillaged. So you go into the city <laughs> yeah. where there's no food. Yeah. So it, it makes it even worse. Yeah, right? yeah. And the city anyway is like a how bad must your life be out in the fields if King's Landing looks like a haven of law and order? Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tyrion thinks about the, the these two threats and he considers Stannis to be the real danger. Renly's making a sort of slow and leisurely progress towards King's Landing. And I think Tyrion, for all Renly's strength, Tyrion thinks that he can maybe outsmart Renly 
because A, he's a better tactician and B, Renly has this real sense of overconfidence and hubris, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. so it's interesting that even though Renly's got, I think at this point he's got the biggest army, hasn't he? Oh yeah, massively. Yeah. yeah. So even despite the fact that he's got the biggest army, everybody's just like Renly doesn't know fuck all, does he? <laughs> yeah. Where and they're much more worried about somebody like Stannis who's got a weaker force, but he's mm. kind of is more of a mover and a shaker. And he's. Yeah. I wonder if that's little brother syndrome. You know, if it's just because Renly's the the kid brother of the king, everybody's like doesn't know anything, or yeah. or if that's actually they know him well enough to know that he's got no substance to him at all. Yeah, there's probably an element of that. There's also the fact that uh, Tyrion uh, thinks here it's the fact that he's got Tyrion's got spies in Renly's camp, uh. and he's got no. Uh, but but with Stannis, it's just dark. He's got nothing. Every time he tries to send someone over to infiltrate, yeah. they don't come back and they disappear. And it and, and either Stannis has got a fantastic anti-espionage thing going on yeah. there, or you know there's something else going on, as mm. we've seen. Um, you know, there's bits and pieces of creepy stuff going on with Stannis yeah. and you just wonder how far that extends yeah. it's certainly something disconcerting isn't it absolutely yeah uh, Joffrey's uh, wasting his time in the courtyard trying to shoot hares with a crossbow might be worth mentioning that yeah. what a wang he just continuously <laughs> comes across as a psychopath he doesn't does he? doesn't he I know what I'm going to do I'm going to shoot rabbits because yeah. I'm the fucking king that's why what else would I be doing <laughs> in a time of war <laughs> Tywin also considers uh, Littlefinger's rise to power. Um, and Tywin? Sorry, no, sorry. Tyrion also considers Littlefinger's rise to power um, and how well he's done as master of coin. And mm. um, he... he well, Littlefinger's clearly risen because he's managed to create money out of nowhere by promising to pay people and taking loans out and using the loans to create more money. Yeah. He's, like, he's pretty much a Game of Thrones version of a modern-day banker. He is, yeah, and, and has all of the sympathetic relatability that modern-day bankers also possess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think it's interesting that that kind of character exists, uh, considering the time this was written. Mm, but uh, uh, And I think it's probably a reflection of sort of modern-day... Um, seeping into this fantasy world. Well, no, do you know what? I don't think that's true. I mean, so the so in the UK, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, the guy who looks after the money, is um, is very very powerful. But he's got this like medieval name that derives from when you know it's something to do with you know the way they used to keep track of where all the money was is this big kind of checkered board, and you'd move these pieces around it to kind of see who had what and when. Hmm. Um, and so that role has been important in kind of politics for better part of a thousand years I think like once you've got mm. once you've got once you're leading a realm that you don't actually gallop around with swords every couple yeah. of weeks you know the guy who pays for the people who do gallop around it with swords becomes very powerful so I've just been reading um, uh, uh, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies yeah. and yeah. the central character of that is incredibly powerful because he knows how to make money work for him like he's got yeah. no, he comes from a low background he's got no nobility he's got no weapons he's got no nothing except he's got the ear of the king because he makes money consistently mm. um, and so I think this, I think I think the little finger thing is a bit more I think it's justified here I think it's a bit it's realistic because back then to be even slightly good with making money was actually to be incredibly powerful because most people just didn't think in those kind of terms it just wasn't part of the yeah. culture yeah good point I think I think yeah I think that's right yeah so um, I will I will bow to the that knowledge. 
The <laughs> Good. <laughs> next, next, up, next up, we've got Sansa. Um, and there's this. Sansa's been offered a way of escape here. There's this plot to get her out of the city, mm. and it involves her, involves her going to the um, the Godswood and meeting a mysterious stranger. Oh, yeah. um, she, she she does. She, she finally gets the, like drums up the courage to do that. And the guy she meets is Sedontus, who's the who's the the knight that the drunken knight, yeah. if you remember from the tournament, yeah. who she saved. And he says that he's going to try and get her out of the city. Yeah, and this is a really great tense sequence, like opening up with that note and does she go, does she not? And all the time she's going down mm. to it, you're like, oh man, what's going to happen? Um, and then there's something else kicking off in the city, isn't there, that kind of creates a distraction that allows her to get down there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah which um, is an interesting thing in itself. But like, but but still on this, like... Um, it's really dramatic, and then she gets down there, and it's Sedontos. And I have to say, I was really surprised because this is a departure, or the, this is where the series departs from the book, isn't it? Because this yeah. this doesn't happen in the series. Yeah. So it's so it's yeah, and, and that it's always exciting when that happens if you've re- if you've watched the series because you're yeah. thinking, oh, this is going in a different direction. Yeah. So you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. All there. of a sudden, you're sort of you're off on a new tangent, and I thought it was really interesting. And um, and <laughs> but Sansa. I mean, bloody hell! You'd think she would have learned, but she's still thinking in fairy tales, because she says, "Yeah, what is it, Florian?" Yeah, it's it's this fairy tale about uh, Florian the fool. Who is, he was a fool who fell in love with a, a maiden, mm. um, and yeah, she sort of turns him into that effectively, doesn't she? Yeah, and I mean, I mean, stories are powerful for a reason, but. I mean, has she not learned that every decision she's made so far on the basis of having heard a song about it that made her feel all fluttery has not worked out yeah. terribly well? That was why she wanted to marry Joffrey to start with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I suppose there's just still this um, residue of... Because she's still a, a you know, a heart, just a girl, isn't she? And she's yeah. still... She's been believing all these stories for so long. And I think you can see how she's slowly beginning to realise that the sort of the the expectations she had from growing up and the uh, and the realities of this world are two different things. It's just a classic example of growing up, really, isn't it? Everyone goes through it. Maybe not quite to this extent, though. Mm. So on her way back uh, to uh, from the Godswood, she, uh, Sansa bumps into the Hound, mm. who's absolutely wrecked. He's really drunk, <laughs> and um, he escorts her back to her chamber. Um, it's a really strange encounter this isn't it Mm. he's rambling and um, it's a very odd relationship that these two have Um, and I don't know what's your take on it Um, it's a weird moment I mean it's very tense because the hound is to this point is still something of a monster Um, you know he's sympathetic only in relation to his brother and that's, Mm. that's it you know and he is there to do Joffrey's dirty work and here he is hammered yeah. And here Sansa is out of her room at night, you know, and and so I, my first thought was like, oh man, this could go badly. Mm. Um, um, but then they have this this kind of weird interaction where he still seems to be sort of concerned for her safety, but mm. without being in any sense cuddly. Like she she even says something about Florian at some point, doesn't she? Because yeah. because she's learned so much about keeping her mouth shut and being discreet. Um, and yeah. he's just incredibly dismissive, and you know, it's, you know, it's just a fairy tale or whatever. 
Yeah. Um, but I thought you get really interesting insight into the Hound in this passage. Because he's, he's kind of, once again, he sort of moves away from being a um, one-dimensional, terrifying character. And it made me mm. think of, um, uh, what was it, was it the end of the last book? When, um, when Joffrey takes Sansa out for a romantic afternoon stroll to the battlements to see her father's head on a spike. <laughs> yeah. And she wants to push him over the edge. And the hound kind of moves in between her and the king to prevent her from doing that, but also to prevent Joffrey from finding out that's what she was thinking of doing. Yeah. And yeah. and so there is this thing as has the hound got a soft spot for Sansa? Or or for for every vulnerable person? Because if so, he is in the wrong job. <laughs> that's what that's what I think is great about this um, encounter is that you you read it wondering that, but it's it's also laced with this fear of if he doesn't yeah um what's gonna because he holds all the power here and she's in such a vulnerable position and he keeps going on about this song that he wants her to sing for him and you're thinking what the fuck does that mean because that could be read as very sinister yeah um and could be sort of a euphemism for all sorts of things that he wants to do um and he's sort of and you could see as he's drunk he's getting closer to actually going down that road mm. and it's just it, I was incredibly frightened for Sansa at, at this stage yeah um, and the other thing the interesting thing about this relationship is they are they are absolutely complete opposites when it comes to this belief in, and this um, this faith in the idea of knights and things like that you know Sansa it couldn't be more fairy tale at the start and she's yeah. still clinging on to some parts of that yeah. and the hound couldn't be less so could he he hates the, the whole idea of it so much that he won't even become a knight yeah yeah and his reaction to Sansa's sort of recounting these stories is um I think it's like equal parts of um pity and and also like just disgust yeah. and the fact that it's, you know it's not true and it's nice to believe it I suppose but um, I know better yeah. and um, my life is so much more miserable for it I suppose yeah 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 and and this is you know the the truth comes out when you're pissed you know mm. and this is what this is what he's like he is a very conflicted character I actually think there's truth in both of the things that we're we think we might see in this in this little scene because I think he's quite yeah. conflicted about himself. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, on the way back, uh, the the Kingsguard knight who was um, outside, who like looking at uh, guarding Sansa when she left, was a guy called Suppressed in Greenfield. He's been replaced now by a guy called Sir Boris Bloat, because um, must be just be his turn to to, to do the guarding. Mm. And um, th- this guy seems to be a real. Um, almost a figure of fun even though he's a Kingsguard knight he seems to be really like uh, just not particularly um, useful hmm. and um, <laughs> the hound pretty much dismisses him um, as they're walking towards him and like says he's, he's useless <laughs> and Sansa says well he's a, you know, he's a knight of the Kingsguard and the hound says, "You can paint stripes on a toad, but he doesn't become a tiger." <laughs> that was quite. <laughs> That's that was such quite a good, good line, hand. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I just wondered at this point. Um, we did the thing with the cast with the um, with the Stark bannerman mm. and picked a bannerman or picked a house. Yeah. Do you want to do the same with the Kingsguard? I'll go through the seven oh, that they've got, hell. and we can we can pick one oh, to, man. to sort of 
uh, tie ourselves to. The, the problem is that I'm going to choose one of the ones who's been absolutely monstrous because I can't quite remember all of their names. And I'm going to end up rooting for an absolute bastard. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> um, okay, well, shall I go through what, who they are? Go on then. And you, and, and, and you can tell me whether you, you want to uh, associate yourself with one of them. Yeah. So there's. So we just spoke about Sir Boris Blout, mm. who is, um, I think he's one of the older members of the Kingsguard, he's pretty useless, um, and he seems to be a blustering, um, fairly nasty um, coward, mm. if you like. Um, so, you know, he's one of the people who seems to beat up Sansa quite comfortably when, uh, yeah. when asked to. Um, there's Samandon Moore, who um, is, the only thing we really know about him is he's really creepy and he's got these... Um, dull grey eyes which no one can tell what's happening behind and uh, Tyrion I think at one point considers him the most dangerous of the King's Guard mm. because because he's no one knows I think actually it might be Jamie who considers that mm. because no one knows what he's, what he's thinking mm. um, and no, he doesn't seem to have any friends he's just a complete loner yeah um, there's the Hound who obviously took over from Barristan mm-hmm um, there's Samarian Trant, who was the guy who came to get Arya and ended up, we assume, killing Sirio. Mm. Um, that's all I really know about him. There's this guy called Sir Preston Greenfield, who is um, apparently is quite short for, for a <laughs> night, um, and he just he just seems to be a general he's, decent. He's a knight. Yeah. Uh, there's Jamie Lannister, obviously, mm. who we know, and then the other one is Sir Aris Oakhart. He sounds great name. Yeah. And um, and again, he's I suppose similar to Sir Preston. We don't know a great deal about him, um, but maybe we'll, we can flesh him out a bit as we go. I don't know. Maybe we should pick out of Sir Preston and Sir Aris Oakhart, seeing as both of them we don't know anything about either of them at the moment. Actually, that's true. That's the only way to go, isn't it? Um, Who are you going for? Uh, go on then, Oakhart. I love Oakhart. Okay, so I've got Sir Preston Greenfield. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Nice one. Okay, so we're, we will. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. This it just we'll just take a take a closer interest in each of their fortunes. Nah, it means everything. It's punditry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So so Sir Aris Oakhart is uh, is your your horse in this uh, in this race. <laughs> yes. I wonder which one survives the longer. Oh that's man. Really yeah. That's, I mean, this is the only thing we're measuring, isn't it? This is a George R. 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 Martin book. The only thing we're looking at is how long does each of them live. <laughs> Um, the, the, the last thing we find out about um, Sander is a bit about his his history and the history of his house, about uh, the hound's history. Mm. Um, so apparently, his grandfather uh, used to look after the dogs in um, in some lord's place, and he saved um, he saved his liege lord by um, you know the, the, these loyal dogs of his effectively stops his liege lord being killed by a lion and this led to promotions and the reason they've got three dogs on the sigil is to remember those um, those loyal hounds I suppose oh. so that's a, just an interesting it's just an interesting bit of colour isn't it to where the uh, where this house came from and it's quite a young house if it only goes back two generations hmm yeah 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 and and you I mean it's it's clearly been quite a meteoric rise and mm. it's been a meteoric rise then presumably off the back of the mountain being vicious yeah. you know I mean that's that's certainly what seems to have them considered players is that the head of the house is a psycho um, yeah. so be, this is a world in which being a psycho will take you a lot further than yeah. um, than anything else it seems 
Uh, next up is a chapter about Aya. Um, this is Team Aya now, because um, if you remember last when we were last with her, she escaped um, from this holdfast, which was under oh, attack. Yeah. Do you remember? Um, no, the people who escaped. I thought one of these guys was dead, and he's not. Uh, Lommy Greenhands. It's um, such a. It's it's uh, it's straight <laughs> from Bugsy Malone, isn't it? It's a sort of London version of Bugsy Malone, child yeah. gangster from the nineteen thirties. <laughs> Lommy Greenhands. Lommy Greenhands. <laughs> Only ever well, steals he, um, vegetables, but he steals them like a pro. Hello, governor. <laughs> he was found with a... She came across him with a spear um, in him mm. um, when we were last in the chapter. But it turns out it was just in his leg, and he's still alive. Um, not for long. <laughs> he's alive at this point. <laughs> Spoiler He's alive for the rest of this chapter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's, there's, so there's him... And then there's Hot Pie. I'm, I'm loving the fact that he's survived. Oh, isn't he magnificent? Um, <laughs> yeah. There's Gendry and there's Weasel, the little girl. <clears throat> Do you know the, the, Oh, the, the girl they, they rescued while mm. they were walking along. Mm. And that's it. Yeah. Everybody else is dead. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it turns out she, um, Aya and this group went back to the Holdfast the next day to see if anyone was alive and everybody had been killed. Um, sadly, including Yorin, we were hoping uh, he might have just got away. Yeah. But um, she finds his body, his, his head's been effectively split in two by an axe, um, and there are four um, four dead assailants around him. Bloody so he, he went down sort of fighting. Yeah. But this is, a, this is, a, this is quite a, a sad moment, because he was a really good character, Yorin, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, he was one of those, you, you, even though he was quite rough and ready, you, you could really take to him. Absolutely. He was, a, he was a classic sort of, kept you interested all the time, because you mm. you liked him, but you also knew that it, you know he might do he might do things that you would think were like oh wow that's pretty that's harsh or that's difficult or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. So he was interesting, and he is dead. Not the and first also, time he, that's happened. We can say in this series. Yeah, and also he was Aya's ticket home, wasn't he? Yeah. He was the guy who was going to get her home, and now he's he's gone, and she's on her own again. Yeah, uh, aged nine. Just out in the mm. middle of nowhere, wandering around the countryside in the middle of a war as an extremely valuable hostage. Yeah. Yeah. Now, there were actually three survivors, um, but they weren't in the holdfast. They were. Do you remember they sent three men up to the tower um, in the town to sort of watch for enemies moving towards them? <laughs> yeah, bang up job, boys. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it, it, it sounded like a death sentence, that, but they actually survived because they pulled their sort of ladder up. Yeah. And because it was a stone tower, they couldn't burn it down, yeah. the attacking Lannisters, and they couldn't really be bothered waiting for them to starve and come down, so they just left them to it. Yeah. So these three guys have survived. turns out one of them got an, got an arrow wound, and he dies shortly after. And the other two um, end up just stealing all the useful equipment and running off, <laughs> simply because it's um, they've got much more chance on their own yeah. than with the, uh, this gaggle of kids around them yeah. and you see how sort of useless Hot Pie is and, Lom- and how cowardly Lommy is yeah. and you, you can see from a completely ruthless perspective why they would do that but at the same time you're leaving a group of children to sort of their fate um, which seems a pretty monstrous thing to Absolutely, do Absolutely yeah um, although you know you're not in the nice watch for your cuddly feelings are you? Um, yeah. my, but um, I'm interested then in what makes Gendry stay because you know he can also handle himself and the logic for him is exactly the same mm-hmm. you know yeah. you're at great risk looking after these 
you know, for all that I like Arya, right, I want her to survive. Hot pie is just comic relief. And, and, and you know, so clearly, I mean, Gedry's got character. You know, he's not yeah. about to chuck these people off. I think it says a lot. Yeah, it does. It does, isn't it? It, it really, um, I think, uh, shows just how, how good a, per- and how, um, yeah, how, how much of a heroic character I suppose Gendry is to even stay with these yeah. these these children. He really is, and you you see, yeah, this is interesting, isn't it? You see a lot more of that sort of um, kingship in him than you do in Joffrey, for example. Yeah, um, you can tell you can tell which one's Robert's son. Absolutely, you? you can imagine yeah. Robert doing exactly the same thing yeah. for all his faults. Yeah, this is the, exactly the kind of thing uh, Robert would have done. Yeah, because this is what kings do. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> hot pie is so bad. I mean, he makes a lot of noises wandering about. Um, he's just a little boy, isn't he? So it's it's hard hard to ever got him too much. He's so shit. He can't even do the communicating by doing um, sort of bird and dog noises, yeah. and he can't even do them properly. He's just walking around going woof, woof. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, at this point, I realised something um, linking to one of our other casts we did. I realised who this who hot pie reminds me of. Who? It's bo- it's Bomber from, from the Hobbit. <laughs> the little the little fat ball of rubbish that follows you around behind yeah. and has to be kept up with at all costs. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just getting carried, isn't he? Mm. But I mean, uh, what a shame. But also, uh, Lommy seems to me completely useless. He just constantly is telling people that they should yield. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> every time they're coming up with any plan, Lommy says that yield. the best course of action is to yield. go up to somebody and yield. <laughs> it's almost like it's a magic word to him, isn't it? It's just like he's heard it. This yeah. is something that, that knights say and receive mercy for. So if I say it, then it's like a secret code. Uh, <laughs> and, and I will not be horribly hacked to pieces by these people who've ridden all the way across the country trying to find me and kill me. Yeah, I suppose it, it's it's fair enough. He's just a he's just a frightened boy, yeah, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, but no, um, but yeah, it is it is quite funny how he gets to always say it. And um, in the <laughs> in the end, when Arya and Gendry go off to sort of scout out this little um, village by the lake, yeah, uh, Lommy says, um, "There are wolves in the forest. What shall I do if you know what happens if they turn up?" And Aya says you should yield. <laughs> She's quite funny. She's um, a witty one, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, th- this ends with um, with them all being captured uh, by uh, the mountain, which... Oh, that'll like go well. The worst Ugh. thing ever. Yeah. Horrible. Um, and just if you weren't in any... If you weren't certain just how ruthless this group of killers are mm. um they they kill Lommy out of hand when they find him with a with his sort of spear thrust and he says he can't walk and um and so they so they just kill him just just for that that's just, what just they do. i mean it's, i mean one shouldn't be surprised at like pointlessly vicious behavior like it, from from armed men in Westeros but fucking hell, he's dying already. He's lying next to a tree, and like yeah. I mean, so I was I was quite surprised by the sort of callousness of this because it seems quite wasteful. It's like you've been sent yeah. out to look for some kids and you found some kids. So the first thing you do is stick a spear through one of their throats, and it's quite mm. risky. What if he turns out to be the one you were looking for? 
you know, what if what if that should have been captured? But this guy just doesn't even think of it. Like, it, it, I mean, it's the unthinkingness of it. It's just like, child, kill. Like, what has to yeah, go wrong in your head that that's your yeah. response? Yeah. And, and well, also, I think, actually, the reason they want to find Gendry is just to kill him. So I wouldn't imagine they'd be too upset if <laughs> well, all right, that's he true, was that's dead. But, 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 but having said that, they want to know that they've got him first. Don't yeah, they? well, <laughs> exactly. They Otherwise, they're just going to kill everybody younger than 15 that they come across. Well, maybe they've already been doing that. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we're back with Tyrion. I, I've got to admit, I always love it when I see Tyrion turning up again. Yeah. Another chapter about him. Yeah. I, I find him one of the really interesting characters at the moment yeah it's also because um, he's surrounded I, by a plot that isn't because the other plots are like john's north of the wall and is on a long journey to somewhere we don't really know and daenerys is on the other side of the narrow sea and is on a long journey to somewhere we don't really know <laughs> and Arya is lost in the middle of westeros and is on a long journey to somewhere we don't really know whereas yeah. Tyrion, <laughs> Tyrion has this really fascinating complicated political you know and you're seeing a character that you like actually succeed um, mm. I feel exactly the same way. Whenever Tyrion comes up, I'm like, "Oh, brilliant!" Because because yeah. otherwise, it's just you know, it's 95 different ways to die whilst taking a walk in Westeros. At the moment, yeah, yeah, I have faith that that's yeah. going to be brought around to something different because George Martin's a good writer. But right now, the the interesting bits, the place where I enjoy spending time is Tyrion in King's Landing. Yeah, so so Ty- Tyrion's gone to to look at this wildfire. Which is um, which is created by um, these people called pyromancers or alchemists, <laughs> as they call themselves. Can you imagine having that and, on your um, business card? Matthew Bone, pyromancer. <laughs> yeah, it's a cracking it's name, great, isn't, isn't it? it? Absolutely brilliant. Um, it seems that these these guys used to be um, pretty much in the position that the that the mice, that the masters are in mm. now, the maesters, and um, they were kind of supplanted. By the maesters as their sort of tricks with fire ceased to um, be impressive. Less impressive, <laughs> yeah. And you get the feeling that maybe as sort of the magical elements seeped out of the world, their power waned because they couldn't do as much as they yeah, used to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they were they were overtaken by these this effectively this group of rationalists mm. um, who are the maesters. Mm. Uh, this this stuff this wildfire appears to be um, kind of like almost like a nuclear weapon because. They, they say that the the jars that held the all the wildfire, which was if you if you remember the old Mad King was creating a load of it to effectively burn the city mm. down um, if it ever if the King's Landing ever fell, mm. and the pots that held all that are now in sealed vaults full of water, but there's still there's still a worry that they're going to one day explode, <laughs> and it just shows how dangerous this stuff is. It's the kind of thing you do to nuclear to nuclear waste. Mm. It's interesting, it? actually. I was going to say that it's napalm, but you're right. It's it's oh, yeah, napalm yeah. crossed with nuclear waste. It's like the, just the worst <laughs> possible substance you can imagine, and it's yeah. buried underneath this yeah. castle. If I was Tyrion, I would be looking at like conveyor belts out of there, sharpish, just. I don't know, yeah. take it all out and dump it somewhere. I don't care where you put it, but not underneath my bed. <laughs> and there's um, there's also, when the pyromancers are making the stuff, they're in this room which has got sort of a load of sand above it. And if if the if the sort of pyromancer makes a mistake, the, the floor falls away above mm. them and they get buried. Yeah. Um, basically, because this is how dangerous the stuff yeah. is, they need to immediately seal down the yeah. room. It's it's like a, a a medieval version of a, a quite a sophisticated 
um, sort of experimentation. Lot, it is, isn't it? yeah, yeah, and uh, all the more gothic for that. <laughs> like, because mm. I yeah. mean, how do you get trained as a pyromancer then? If your first mistake is you buried alive under a big pile of sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's it. They're an interesting little group, these pyromancers, and um, they 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 both. They seem a bit, a little bit sinister, I suppose. Just um, a bit, and just, yeah, <laughs> a bit unusual. Um, the the plan it seems to be, and Cersei has started this plan, is to get a load of the jars of this stuff to fling over the walls. Um, once once King's Landing's under siege, mm. and it seems that Tyrion is kind of going along with that, insofar as he wants to start training the uh, the sort the, the the sort of city watch to use this stuff. And starting off by filling the jars with paint, and then moving on to filling them with sort of lit oil, um, basically so that they can make the mistakes without burning the entire city yeah. down. Uh, so it seems like a risky thing to do, though, to have this kind of material within the walls yeah. in a in a battle situation. I think in the in the book at this stage, you mean in the film, um, in the TV series, uh, sorry, in, yeah, in the series at this in the series at this stage. Um, I think Bronn makes the point where he says, you know, when you've got frightened men in a war situation, the last thing you want is them flinging this <laughs> shit around because it's going to end up, it's going to end up going in yeah. the city. I think that's true, but it's sort of a, you know, that that's the same argument you use to say that you don't want nuclear weapons on home soil, but if they're not on home soil, they're on soil mm. that somebody else can capture. So, you know, it's yeah. it's the same thing, isn't it? If you had a little stockpile of this stuff 20 miles outside the city, the you know you, if your enemies come across that then you're screwed. So yeah. once this yeah. horrendous thing has been invented, you know you absolutely must, um, mm. uh, kind of keep it keep it close to you because that's it's extremely yeah. likely to kill you, but it's less likely to kill <clears throat> you right there than it is anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> as uh, as Tyrion as as Tyrion's riding back through. King's Landing, um, we get a feel for just how um, how unpopular the king is at the moment. It turns out that people have been turning up at the castle walls asking for food, oh. and Joffrey's response has been to just shoot the loudest people with his crossbow, and then sh- and shout down to the crowd that they have leave to eat the dead. <laughs> Unbelievable, <laughs> which isn't a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> <No, yeah. laughs> He's almost he's almost a, a self parody. Yeah, actually, that's true. It is. It's it's <laughs> let them eat cake, but turned up to eleven. <laughs> um, yeah, it's horrible. Um, and that was. Am I right in thinking that was what that was what allowed Sansa to get out of her room the other night as well? Yeah, yeah, that was what was happening. It was one of these big groups have approached the castle again, asking yeah. for food, and the the guards have had to go and respond yeah, I, to it. I've had to go sure and they don't get in. like back up the king because nobody's going to be frightened of the king without his hired hands, are they? This little runty <laughs> kid that enjoys shooting rats and people, and, and people for food as well. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Yeah, and unfortunately for Tyrion, he's copping a lot of the blame for this as well. We see a, um, a like a, a Punch and Judy show which is going on mm. in the city, which Tyr- Tyrion rides past. Well, it's not a show, no, it's, it's a prophet shouting out, um, you know, basically having a pop yeah. at the king, and also the, 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 
the person, the sort of power behind the throne, Tyrion, who's described as a twisted little monkey demon, which uh, which he feels a bit upset. I think you're justified. (laughs) If somebody describes you as a twisted little monkey demon, at being a little bit put out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's also um, Moon Boy, who's the the fool, uh, one one of the fools in the uh, in the castle. Um, we, we said before about the fact that um, I, I said that fools here tend to be um, seem to be people in Westeros who have some kind of mental deficiency, and you said that in in medieval times it was it was it could be that or it could also be just com- effectively comedians who were allowed to poke fun where other people yeah. weren't, and I think Moonboy is closer to that. Yeah. Um, he talks he mentions the you know the, the High Septon who's sort of the the high priest in um, in King's Landing, mm. and he's remembered as describing him as because he's really fat. This guy, and he he says that the High Septon worships the seven gods so fervently that he eats a meal um, for each one of them every time he sits down. Which is it a is. great gag, um, and it is it's just a, it's like yeah. a comedian thing, that isn't it? It's not um, it's not a, the fool in the sense that we've seen um, yeah, early on in the book. Primary purpose is just to creep you out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay, Cersei. Uh, oh, hang on a minute. I've lost a bit. Oh, um, yeah. So Cleus Frey has returned. Has returned to King's Landing. He's the guy, the Lannister mm. envoy. Do you remember? He went to Rob with. Um, oh, he's been sent by Rob mm. with peace terms. Um, and he gets in. And the only thing I wanted to say about this is he's been escorted by mm. a group of Starks, and I just thought. This is just the one job you don't want to oh, be given, yeah. isn't it? Because it's just it's just so easy to end up dead an envoy, and if you're a Stark yeah. bannerman as well, you don't want to be heading down yeah. to King's Landing um, into the yeah. nest of vipers <laughs> because you, you, your one hope is that you just yeah. get back out alive. Yeah. Oh, it's just yeah. You've got you've got either balls of steel or be really thick to be in this group and not absolutely mm. freak out. Um, Cersei comes to um, he's yeah. furious with Tyrion for some reason and it turns out that it's one of the one of these plans that Tyrion's put down to see which one will get back to Cersei <laughs> has got back to Cersei yeah. so somebody has betrayed him and we're not 100% sure yeah. who yet I don't think but um, <clears throat> Tyrion obviously knows the thing is here um, the Cersei and Tyrion talk about the situation and how enemies are closing in from various sides now and they need mm. to do something to, to to sort of break the stranglehold and get back on the front foot and Cersei actually starts to cry she actually completely breaks down because yeah. she's just so afraid and um, the reaction is <clears throat> the, the, Tyrion's reaction is great. It says, Tyrion Lannister could not have been more astonished if um, Aegon the Conqueror himself had burst into the room riding a dragon and dribbling <laughs> lemon pies. Um, <laughs> That's such a good line. <laughs> yeah, but um, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's weird if to, if to us, I suppose, as well, because it's, it's Cersei yeah. being human. And um, I suppose it just gives us an idea of just how much... For all her faults and what she's done, how much pressure she's under, self-applied, and how much weight right? she's trying to carry. I mean, uh, yeah, she's the queen regent, regardless. Well, of that's how true. She's, she's it, the though. queen regent because of a situation that she engineered. You know, and she's the one who kind of triumphalistically mm. was like, you know, you you play the game of thrones, you win or you die. 
you know, like she's she's asked for mm. this, and she's bad at it. That's yeah. the problem, isn't it? She's really good at manipulating people. Oh, this is interesting. Kind of like Robert. Robert's really, really good at winning battles and really shit at ruling nations. And Cersei's really, really good at manipulating mm. politics and uh, to her own, to get what she wants. But then she doesn't know how to actually just run things. And now she's the regent, mm. and she's spending yeah. most of her time as regent, having little power games with her brother. And you know, mm. sending people off here and there and everywhere, and, and trying to remain in control, and she's bad at it. And 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 mm. and yeah. she's so bad at it that you know that this otherwise unassailable position of military might looks to be under now under great threat. Yeah, uh, and actually, just as an aside, another example of how much she hated Robert. Um, she now sleeps in the bed that Robert died in. And Tyrion says, um, I'm quite surprised that you haven't thrown that out. And she says, it gives me good <laughs> dreams. Nah, <laughs> nah, like, and your little dog, too. <laughs> <nah>. <laughs> she's not one-dimensional, but she's right. fucking close to it, isn't she? <laughs> All right, let, let's go back up to, the, to, to Winterfell with let's. Bran. I know this, this is the, the Harvest Feast. Um, it's interesting... I thought here that there's the harvest feast at Winterfell and it's this massive um, occasion and everybody's eating as much as they want and it's a really um, it's a massive blowout really and just the comparison between that and what we've just seen in King's Landing where the whole city's mm. starving yeah you know and these two th these two are both at war but for various reasons, Winterfell at the moment is yeah. actually doing a lot better. Well, because Winterfell's got the whole north to draw on. This is what I was saying last time: is um, you know you, you're in mm. control of a huge swathe of territory, and and that necessarily yeah. brings with it a great deal of power if they, if they if they're all behind you. Whereas King's Landing is the capital, sure, and has a lot of money, sure, but its supply routes are all owned by other people now because you've got so many different lords fighting each other in the south. Bran is supposed to send um, he, he gets offered the first taste of all yeah. the dishes that are brought out and he's supposed to send them down to sort of high lords and people yeah. he favours as well um, you know just to just to show a bit yeah. of patronage I suppose and he does that to some of the you know important people he also sends a couple of things to people like Hodor and Old just Nan he just because he just said, it, yeah. it says just because he loves them. That yeah, is, and you can nice, actually you can see um, Ned Stark doing the same thing, can't you? Like you can definitely see him getting that from his dad. Yeah. In fact, earlier in the early the first book, didn't wasn't there something like, you know, Ned would Ned would occasionally have like in the place of honor, he'd have lords and he'd have bannermen and he'd have people that he wanted to get on side, but then he'd also just have like old Nan or whoever and would honor them in the same yeah. way. Yeah, that is really canny leadership. Yeah, that. actually, we've seen that throughout all these little bits in this book of Bran being the the Stark in Winterfell. He's, for all that he's a kid and he doesn't much enjoy doing, it, he's actually really good at it. It seems to me like he's yeah. he yeah. seems to know the right things to say and seems to understand what's important and what's not, and seems to be quite hmm. kind of uh, benevolent. I, I, that's really interesting. He's also um, <laughs> there's also an example of him being a child here when. Uh, Maester Lewin says that he he should send something to the two uh, yeah. Frey twins as well because you know they're in, mm. in a place of honour as well. So he, he sends them down boiled beets <laughs> and buttered turnips. <laughs> 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 
Everybody else are getting like suckling duck Boiled and all this and stuff. turnips. And you can just see him, can't you? Just sort of <laughs> leaning over and just flicking the V's. As when they look up to acknowledge it, it's just like, yeah, you can have that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, th- that's a nice example of him being a child. There's also this, um, an example of how mature he is and this sadness that seems to be around Bram. Um, with he, he sits and re- when he sees all these people laughing mm. and joking and enjoying themselves and he remembers the last time they had a harvest feast and who was there then and you know all the people who went down to King's Landing and yeah. all his family and he thinks that some of them are still missing and some mm. of them are never coming back and he he looks on and he, he, say, he wonders who will be missing next year and that's quite a mature thought to have for a child and it's also it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's very sad a really it? sad one and he's, the thing is that he's there's one thing that has been shown he's going to be right about is the fact that most of the people he likes probably aren't going to live very long you know hmm yeah the the only other thing to say about this chapter is the arrival of these other two characters called Jojen and Mira and these are um, the son and daughter of this 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 lord who's allied to Winterfell but you never really see at the moment and he's, a, he's what's called a he, he he rules what are called the Cranach men, and these are the guys who live in the swamp area around. Remember Moat Kaelin, which is that castle which no one wants to live in because yeah. it's in such a horrible yeah. place in the middle of a swamp. Well, these people live in the oh. swamp, and their their sort of capital, if you like, or their main mm. sort of town or city, is moves the the nomadic. So it's like a, a travel oh, caravan, see, really. Yeah, like I read that. And I thought, what magic? I was, you know, I thought, I thought this was a, some weird sort of apparates, disapparates sort of thing. But no, so it's like a tent city. They're like the, they're the Dothraki of Westeros. I think so. I mean, I immediately went to that. I suppose. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure if it's made explicit, but I just assumed yeah. that would be the case. Um, and I think there may be other bits and pieces around um, later on where they're described mm-hmm. in such a way. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's if that's me going back on things that I've read later on, or whether it's just oh, an well, assumption. We'll see. But anyway, interesting. yeah, mm. yeah. And it turns out that the Howland Reed, who's the who's the the leader of this group, um, he was the only other person to survive. Do you remember that big battle that Ned had with the remains of the Kingsguard? At the oh end of yeah, the rebellion. Yeah, at the white at the, yeah. at the Tower of Joy. Um, well, he was the only oh. other guy to survive, and um, Bran remembers that um, he heard that his dad would have died um, if it wasn't for this guy. He would have been killed by, I think, Arthur Dane, this Sword of the Morning, this really great Kingsguard knight, yeah. was fighting Ned and was winning, and somehow Howland Reed turned the tide. Um, don't know. Anyway. Yeah, well, so, I mean, it's a rare thing, it's isn't it, of, like, kind of, like a... Uh, a friendship that seems to endure because he welcomes them doesn't he they come and they say you know we're still on your side and quite formally for mm. a pair of kids and he receives it quite formally and it's that it's it's the first time we've seen an alliance like affirmed or entered into without somebody going and what's in it for me mm. and the chapter ends with another wolf dream Bran dreams of being a wolf again and this time um, the two children Jojen and Mira approach him as a wolf and that's all part of the dream that's weird we'll see where that goes shortly yeah Mm. 
Next up is Caitlin, and she is she's on the way down to see Renly, because if you remember, Rob sent her down to see if she can strike some kind of deal yeah. with with Renly, um, to to try and to try and turn the war in yeah. in Rob's favour. Um, she's absolutely exhausted, and we get this um, feeling from her at the start of this chapter that she just all she wants yeah. to do is go home now. Yeah, and she just can't. Um, obviously. Yeah, and and yeah, um, she's it, she's becoming more and more tortured as time goes on, isn't she, Caitlin? You know, she's a very strong person, but it's really taking its toll on her. The group she's travelling with is is perfectly balanced insofar as it's strong enough to put off any um, bandits who are knocking mm. about in the countryside, but weak enough to to not be a threat to sort of serious armies yeah. that are wandering around. It's the kind it's the kind of balance that I suppose um, Yorin's group didn't have, and that's why they were that's yeah. why they didn't make it. You need to, f- you, and th- then that is the key to moving through these war-torn lands at the moment, isn't it? A bit of luck, and also having that right, to trying to find that line between not powerful enough to be a threat to established armies, but powerful enough to defend yourself. Yeah, against yeah, bandits. it's um, a little, a little considered part of military strategy, isn't it? It's like how to be imposing but not threatening. Um, so she, she comes across Renly's camp, massive mm. group, massive army, biggest mm. army in the kingdom at the moment. Um, she meets him and she thinks he looks like Robert. He looks a great figure mm. of a king. Um, and that, that, that is fairly indisputable. Um, it turns out that he's holding effectively a mini tournament at the moment as he's making yeah. his way to war. And she considers this to be Renly just playing at war when a war yeah, is actually going it, on now. It doesn't do really anything, does it, to change your opinion of Renly as a sort of Johnny-come-lately who's playing dress-up instead of somebody who's serious about yeah. you know kingship and what it involves the the, the winner of this big melee um which is you know the, the tournament which is being held turns out to be this enormous knight who um caitlin doesn't uh, uh, caitlin doesn't recognize and then it turns out it's a woman it's a mm. woman called brienne and she she's a very it's our first introduction to this character and she seems very interesting isn't she it's placing a um, a female character in a very unusual role for this. For this, it period. is, and um, and the thing that struck mm-hmm. me the most was the um, was the fact that um, when she's won the competition, people are going a beauty, a beauty, and so even in her moment of and and of course the joke quote quote is that she's she's described as being very ugly, and. Um, and I just I thought that was like even in her moment of triumph, this world devalues women and what she wants to do so much that that she's disrespected yeah. even in her moment of triumph. And um, mm. yeah, I I mean, yeah. So I wonder, you know, where's this going to go? Because she ends up becoming part of Renly's Kingsguard, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is interesting because okay, um, there's there's the Kingsguard. Um, which is these these seven knights all all in white who whose one job is to protect the king. <clears throat> Renly's started his own, and there's in the in the series Ren, Renly is 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 is, is mm. his character is he's gay, um, and it's it's quite obvious. It's hinted at in the um, in the book, but never mm. really more than that. Although now and, I've um, now I've <clears throat> read it, having watched the TV series, there are some fairly open. Like snarks in it, do you know what I mean? And it was yeah. sort of carry on. 
Yeah, and, and also, I mean, one of the possible indicators <laughs> is that he's called his guard <laughs> the Rainbow Guard. <laughs> That is wonderful. And it's I, just, one of these... I, I love the idea of like of like 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 rainbow badasses. I just think that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of um, it's going to be badass, but yeah. it's going to be fabulous at the same time. Badass, fabulous. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it seems that Renly is um, actually pretty friendly towards um, mm. towards Rob. Um, he offers um, some kind of friendship, mm. it seems, at the beginning. Um, and th- he's quite welcoming to Catelyn and tells her to, you know, take a place of honour and mm. sit and feast with them um, this evening. And it all seems quite promising yeah, yeah, at yeah, the start, doesn't it? Um, at, this, at this feast, it's quite interesting... That um, Catelyn looks at, at all the, the sort of knights around um, around Renly, and she realizes that these are all the younger yeah. men in the kingdom. Um, they're, they're all late mm. teens, early twenties. Um, I mean, she said, there's, "There's a thought here. I'll just read it out." Um, she considers um, it's all a game to them still, a tawny mm. writ large. Uh, and, and all they see is a chance for glory and honour and spoils. They're boys drunk on song and a story, and like all boys, they think yeah. themselves immortal. And it's um, it's a really nice summary of just um, where Renly's power base is at the moment yeah. and what they're like. And you see a big difference uh, all the way through the series, actually, between people who are too young to really remember what winter was like and people who have been through a winter and yeah. the win- having been through a winter and having been through a war are quite closely correlated in this particular generation and so there's a lot of yeah. soft um, overconfident kids who have been raised on mm. stories of valour and haven't heard the bit of the story where you see somebody's eye get gouged out or leg get gnawed off or whatever it is and you just have a great sense yeah. of, um, of of immaturity, and you can't see how they're going to get away with it for long. You know, they're going to get found out. It may be mm. the biggest, it may be the biggest army, but frig, you know, something's going to, it's going to go south somehow. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an often told story. This isn't it of the sort of um, innocence and overconfidence of of young mm. men going to war, but it just it does it yeah, feels yeah, right. Yeah, here, I really it? buy it because it, it all it all proceeds from Renly, who is this kid who is playing at war but happens to have access to lots of weaponry with which to do it so you know elsewhere he would have been playing Call of Duty but actually he's shooting real people so to speak you know he's doing it for real yeah yeah Um, Renly at the end of the feast uh, asks Catelyn to to sort of to to walk with him and he takes her to the top of this um, tower and they look out over all the campfires, um, which are, which are stretched for miles and miles, and it's just a sh- it's just a quite clear yeah. show of his power. Renly's very smiling and relaxed, and he's obviously very popular mm. and good with people. Um, but this is a very clear statement of you know this is where power yeah. lies at the moment. You know I'm the most powerful, and he makes it quite clear that he wants Rob to to be on his side. But he's not going to do a deal uh, and split his kingdom. He's not going to give yeah. him the north, and Ro- and Ro- Rob will have to. Um, he, he said, you know, he, he can he can still call himself king if he wants, but he has to be a sort of pledge his allegiance yeah. to me, and 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 I have to rule over him. And it's it's a clear, 
it's a clear problem, isn't it? Because that is not what Rob's going to accept. Yeah. So this could have been this could have been a good treaty to make, but well, I want to say Renly, full of himself, has turned it down, and you know he's got all the reasons to turn it down at the moment. But it does mean that, but in making that decision, he's making a decision to keep the whole country at war. Because if he and Rob got together and made mm. a deal, then the Lannisters would have nowhere to go. You know, it seems to me that Highgarden yeah. is the only place that's as rich as Casterly Rock, and that could uh, could um, oppose mm. the Lannisters well, and they're in a position to do it. But Renly's like, no, I'm going to be king. Fuck off. Mm. Yeah, I wonder. Do you think his supporters would accept him no, giving away no, half the kingdom without, without even winning it? And you know, uh, so I no, you're right. He can't do that as well, but only because he's got a force full of idiot boys like him. Yeah, I, I, I also I think it's at the same time agree with you though that he on one hand he probably can't, but on the other, he regardless, to, he doesn't want yeah. to, does he? He believes yeah. he, he can take all of this, and he's mm-hmm. got the power to do it. Um, the end of this is um, a, a rider appears saying that Stannis has arrived and he's he's besieged Storm's End, which is it's mm. Renly's castle effectively. So Stannis has has sailed for war, but he's not gone straight for King's Landing. He um, is up, his first attack is against his brother. I mean, well, Strange understandable decision. decision given that Stannis's Stannis's primary outrage, I think, is that he's not the king, and he wants. I think he kind of wants to clear the ground around him before he makes before he goes for the throne. And and he's got a he's got yeah. a good reason to hate Renly because Renly's just gone. No, I'm going to be king. Oh, sod the law. I'm going to be king. And mm. <laughs> Stannis is is not the kind of guy to take an insult like that lightly. And and so it no. it looks to me like petulance is what it looks like. Do you know what I mean? It looks to me like Stannis mm. being like, um, well, you slighted me, and that is a greater sin than um, than usurping the throne. Um. And so I'm going to go yeah. for you first. And also, Storm's End seems to have some significance to Stannis, doesn't it? Because he, he he felt it was his right yeah. as the as the elder brother, and he didn't get it because Robert didn't want him there. Robert was like, just go and sit on Dragonstone, go to an island far away. Yeah, um, and you can yeah. understand why yeah. as well. He can't have been a barrel of last to have around Stannis. No, and and Robert was the kind of guy who wanted people who yeah, yeah, laughed at his yeah, jokes. Sta- at can you imagine the joke that Stannis would I, laugh I, at? <laughs> yeah, you can. I, it's, it's, I think it's quite clear that he got on a lot better with Renly yeah, than he yeah. did with Stannis, didn't he? There's, there's definitely much more. They're much more similar. Stannis is a bit of the sort of black sheep of the family, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. he? Um, okay. Uh, next mm-hmm. up, final chapter for today. I mean, we're, we're running long, <laughs> so you'd be delighted to hear. Um, this is this is John. We've not been back with John for mm. it seems ages, and um, they've finally made it to a place called mm. Craster's Keep now. Um, and this is a uh, it's one bloke, one horny old man, and uh, he could almost be a relative of um, that guy at the twins. Well, the Frey. Uh, Frey. Uh, Mordecai yeah. um, is just this. He's this old bloke who has he's surrounded by daughters, oh. who are also his wives, who give him oh. more daughters. Um, yeah, no. not pleasant, is it? Uh, but but somehow, when everybody else has fled and all these villages are deserted, yeah. he's still there. Yeah. He's surviving. 
Uh, mm. Why? We don't know. Um, but it, it turns out he he does he remembers um, Waymar Royce and uh, Jared. Right from the remember f- beginning of the first book. The very first yeah. characters we encountered, yeah, who met yeah. the end north of the wall. Um, it's interesting that it, it, we we sort of reach right back mm. to the start of that book now because he, he, he casts his mind back and says, oh yeah, I remember them passing through. And he describes actually Jared, who's the guy who had, ends up being executed by mm. Ned for deserting, um, as a, quite a decent guy and he quite <laughs> well, likes yeah, him. Yeah, but is that um, really the kind of character reference you want? <laughs> exactly, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> um, it turns out that the reason the, he says the reason the villages all around are deserted is because Mance Raider, who's this guy who says he's the king north of the wall, has been asking all the wildlings to join him. He's saying that things are getting more dangerous and he's going to mm. lead them to safety. And Craster seems to be the only, the only one who's decided that he doesn't want to do Yo, that. Because he's too old he and there are no other men around him. You know, mm. <laughs> I would almost not blame yeah. Mance Raider, whoever he is, for having been like, should we get in Crass? No. No, I don't want anything to do with that. I mean, I'm a wildling and all, and we do some pretty raw stuff, but for fuck's sake, there's a limit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, a couple of other things happen while, they, while they're stopping at Craster's. It's an interesting... It's a good... I quite like it here. It's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun place to watch the Night's Watch try and deal with, because on one hand, Craster's obviously mm. a horrible bastard. On the other, you know, it, it is a place of relative sanctuary in yeah. the sort of <laughs> in the forbidding horrible conditions of yeah. the forest north of the wall um john um meets uh, a character called gilly who's uh who's one of craster's daughters and she asks john to take um to take her with him when when he leaves um, and obviously he can't mm. do they go in further north and th- even if he wanted to it's not really mm. practical um, but she says that she's terrified because she's pregnant and if it's a boy um, she's going to lose him because Craster gives his boys to the cold gods more gods well the interesting thing here is um, the cold, we don't know who the cold gods are we've got an idea mm. later in the chapter and I'm not. I'm wondering if this is um, a move towards your theory, where you said the White Walkers a, are the old a. gods, um, and I, I kind of suggested that might. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that is the case, but th- if it is, then this is evidence for you because you remove the seed <laughs> from the cold gods. That's what I thought when I read this. I was like, oh, get in, come on. I should have put money on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and G- Gilly's Gilly's plea to be like taken away um, is kind. Of, it's almost on a Sansa level, sort of heard the stories of kingship and sort of mm. childish trust, where she says um, they say the the king mm. keeps people safe. So I was kind of hoping that you'd mm. be able to do that for me, and obviously mm. John just can't. Um, and <laughs> in the end, Sam um, meets Gilly later on, and he. Petitions John as well to help her. John's just like, come on, no, we can't, we can't do, do that. that Man we? the fuck up. Like, I mean, by all accounts, like if Sam wants to do that, I know Sam's not the character to do this sort of thing, but he should fucking do it. I mean, there's one thing having a friend. It's quite another thing being like, I am unwilling to do this extremely dangerous and ill-advised thing. Can you do it, please? 
Mm. <coughs> yeah. Um, John and Mormon and the mm. Lord Commander Mormont um, end up having a conversation as they're leaving Craster's about what Craster's up to, and there's obviously something about Craster giving his sons up to um, the, yeah. the monsters in the forest, and. And, and John says, you know, how can you let that go on? How can you yeah. not act against it? And Mormon basically says yeah. that, you know, it's pragmatism and um, he need, they need Craster there because he's the, he's the way that they can yeah. range further north because he actually yeah. lets them rest there. Um, John says um, that <coughs> Ned once told him that some men are not worth having. A bannerman who's brutal and unjust dishonors his mm. lord as well as himself. Um, yeah. You can, hear, yeah, you can yeah, really yeah. hear Ned in that, can't you? <laughs> but it's an interesting well, it argument. Well, it is particularly it, for a man way. who had the Boltons, who were known for flaying men, as one of his bannermen. <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling that Ned has them though, and he kind of keeps the excesses of them in uh, line, or true, as much as he true. can. And I think, I think they there is a pre- there is pressure on the Boltons to at least yeah, toe, the, yeah. toe the line a bit. Whereas I think you can tell here all the way through, uh, Mormont basically says, oh, "I think, I think." Or one of his men, and on moment agrees, it says, "You know, your house, your rules," and they let Craster do whatever he wants as long as he offers his, mm-hmm. him them support. I think mm-hmm. offers offers them his support, and I, th- I think that's different to the way that the dynamic. Oh, that's Ned true. And, and I'm hanging a lot off the fact that Bolton's have got a flayed man on their sigil, but I still, <laughs> still I, don't, I don't trust him. <laughs> um, okay, uh, the next, the, the only the only other bit to say about this that I've got is. Um, they find out a bit about the size of Mansa Raider's army, and it seems that he's massing pretty much all the <laughs> wildlings to his side in this brutal place called the Frostfangs, which is this almost inhospitable part of the north. Do you know what, the, what sprang to my mind when he said the Frostfangs? Because it's on the coast, isn't it? I what? instantly thought Blackpool. Yeah. Come to sunny Frostfangs. <laughs> Wildlings on the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I doubt there's a booming. I bet. Not mind you, though. Frostfangs. Put up a big wooden uh, roller coaster and watch the money roll in. <laughs> yeah, um, but John considers here the fact that um, there are three hundred rangers. They've got th- their strength is three hundred oh. members of the Night's Watch. And they're riding out against this innumerable host, um, which is massing. Yeah, and it just really sets it up where you're thinking, this is, this might be the end of the Night's Watch, because this it seems almost insurmountable. Obviously, they'll be Mm. better trained, you'd imagine, but at the same time, the sheer strength of numbers is going to mean this is going to be a real. A, a really yeah, dangerous yeah, battle absolutely. to fight. Absolutely. Um, I mean, what 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 do you think um, the um, the thinking behind this is with the Lord Commander? Do you is it would it not be wiser as some of the people who are still at the wall suggested for the Lord Commander to to, to wait on the wall? You've got something uh, this yeah. massive defensive structure, and that's the place you fight your battle. Why is he writing? Excellent anything? question. And uh, I don't really know what that is. is. Is it possible that he's just got so freaked out by this zombie nearly killing him that he's like, I can't sit here and wait anymore? And and that this is actually yeah. an old yeah. man, an old serious badass. 
starting to lose it a little bit. Because um, you're right. Because there's, I mean, why not just stay? Why not say, right? We've got rangers beyond the walls. Everybody out there, chop down trees for five miles from the wall, and use them to rebuild mm. the wall. Which I've also been worrying about. Why have you taken all of your best fighters away from this thing that it's your job to protect? It's not your job to conquer the north. Yeah. It's your job to defend the wall. Yeah. The the, the only reason yeah. I can think behind it would be that um, the wall's so mm. big that if this massive host appears at a part of it which isn't yeah. m- well defended, it could be over before they can even get there. Oh, that's interesting. Do you know what I mean? Um, if they start, if, if people are scaling it, because it'll take takes days yeah. to get to parts of the wall. So he wants to go out and so, prevent I mean, the attack before it starts. Risky. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I suppose it's a yeah, it's a way. It's a desperate move to sort of um, to find a way of dealing with overcoming the odds that he's got. Because I suppose if you have these three hundred men spread out over several hundred miles of wall. It's it's harder to de- it, it, despite the fact you've got the advantage of the yeah. wall. It's harder to defend. It's seven hundred foot high. It's, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like <laughs> at the bottom. It must be so unbelievably thick. It's not like you can turn up with a hairdryer and sort of melt it. Blow <laughs> <laughs> top. I just got a wonderful image of one of those somebody somebody with a lighter, a cigarette lighter, but not a normal cigarette lighter. One of those ones that sends out a quite a blue flame, roaring blue flame, just holding it at the bottom. Like any minute now. <laughs> Look, that's the end of um, this enormous part of our coverage it's of Game epic. of Thrones. Um, next week, we are looking at Garden. Of, uh, the, the next pe- the next stage of the book is called Garden of Bones. Um, we're going to read from the next chapter, which is about Theon, which begins. She was undeniably a beauty. Very very Theon thing to say. Um, as far as page four five one in the paperback, which is a chapter about Caitlin, which begins, it was full dark before they came upon the village. So that is where you stop reading for next week. So it's from this next chapter about Theon, as far as page 451, Caitlin, it was full dark before they came upon the village. Easy as that. Easy as that. And the only other thing to say is feedback. If, you, uh, if you've got anything to say about the, uh, the Clash of Kings or about the podcast, Get your thoughts into sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can tweet us at sharkliveroil and we'll, uh, we'll read it out on the cast. Enjoy uh, the next 100 pages <laughs> that we're getting through for next week. Epic pace. <laughs> <laughs>